0: Thank you all very much. Uh, good morning, everybody. Welcome to GBC. Really excited to, uh, to be able to preach this morning. Uh, that, that's one of my favorite songs that we sing as a congregation. I, I just love it and mostly I love it just because uh, of the congregation's participation in it. It is profoundly encouraging somehow for me. so so thank you for that. Um, we have, before, before I forget, we have a baby dedication immediately after this service. So um, I, I know that a lot of people are rushing out to lunch, and I get that. Um, if you can stay, it's a huge encouragement to the families that are uh, dedicating their children. And basically, in a, a baby dedication, we are we are asking God to save our children by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And then we are also asking um, him to help us to raise our kids in houses that... that just exude the grace of God and, and the hope and the joy that we have in Christ. And so uh, that's what we're doing. We would love for you to, to stay around if you can to participate. Let me pray now, and we will turn our attention to Joshua chapter 5 and first part of verse of chapter 6. Lord, I pray this morning that, that you would make our, our souls receptive to the truths that you give us in Joshua chapter five and six, so that our lives might be changed and so that the lens through which we see the world would be would, would be colored by your gospel and your goodness and your sovereignty and and your amazing grace Father uh, help us not just to go through the motions today I, I pray that we would uh, quiet our souls before you and and that your word would speak to us in some profound ways. Um, help us, Lord, in the end of this to, to look a little bit more like your son Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Does anybody here know the song, Joshua Fit the Battle of Jericho? Joshua Fit the Battle of Jericho. Jer- you, you heard- How many of y'all have heard that song before? Raise your hands. Okay, so like this is so much more encouraging. The first service, the nine o'clock, like nobody raised their hands. And I'm like, that doesn't work for my illustration. Because here's what happened. About two months ago, uh, maybe three months ago, I told my father, who's 83 years old, he's sitting right over here. I said, you know, he said, what are we going to be studying next? And I said, the book of Joshua. And he was like, oh, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. Jericho, Jericho. And I'm like, that's kind of weird. I mean, my, my dad is many things. A, an Old Testament scholar probably isn't one of them, okay? And 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 yet he knew right away, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. And I, I didn't know that song. I, I wasn't really even that familiar with the story. I, I then went to my daughter, Annie Kate, who's 18, and I, I asked her, hey, do you know this song, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho? And she was like, dad, Everybody knows that song. <laughs> and I'm like, not everybody knows that song. I had to look it up on YouTube. Like a, and, and she's like, everyone knows that song. And, and so I'd say to her, the 9 o'clock service, she says to me, the 1045 service, everybody does seem to know that song. I, I, was, I was surprised. It's, it's, it's not my daughter, Annie Kate. It's, it's not my father, Lou Brazelton. Lots of people know this heretical song. Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. We're going to figure out why. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, Well, these verses are the introduction to the guy who really fit the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. That, this is the guy. Now, you should be asking, who exactly is this guy? Well, the text in verse 13 says he's a man, and he's not only a man, he's a man who is wielding a sword. So, presumably, he is a man who is fit for battle. Now, he goes on in those verses, and you read it, he calls himself the commander of the army of the Lord. I'm going to give you a, t- a tip here, okay? If, if we're in the middle of the book of Joshua, and Joshua, for the most part, has been the leader of Israel for a little while now, and all of a sudden, right before he starts his first major battle, he sees someone he doesn't recognize. He says, whose side are you on? We'll get into that in a second. And, and then this guy says, I am the commander of the Lord's army. You can know it's not just a man. Okay, I'm just telling you right now, something else is going on here. He is the commander of the Lord's army, so that means he's not just a man. Okay, So who is he? The word commander. The word commander can mean a lot of things. It can mean chief, it can mean ruler, it can mean captain. Commander is a fine translation. It can even mean prince. Okay, prince. And we, it doesn't really tell us that much. Ultimately, what this word commander does tell us, is that this guy is the one who has all authority over the Lord's army. Now, that's a big deal. Like, the the host of heaven is the Lord's army. That that he is the commander of of the Lord's army, like, that, that's a really big deal. Okay, so you just need to know that this is not business as usual for Joshua, and it, it shouldn't be business as usual even as we read it for us. Some people some people would say that this guy is an angel. Maybe Gabriel, maybe Michael, something like that, like one of the head honcho angels. I actually don't think that's what's going on. I think this is what theologians call a theophany. A theophany is an appearance of God in the Old Testament, basically. Like Jesus is the ultimate theophany, okay? So God took on flesh and dwelt among us. That's. That's the ultimate theophany. This is a pre-incarnate appearance of God. It might be a pre-incarnate Jesus, but one way or the other, it's God, okay? Joshua asks, you might be asking, well, how do I know this? Here's my point. Joshua asks, what does my Lord say to his servant? We read that. What does my Lord say to his servant? You know, the word Lord is Adon. In Hebrew, it's a Greek, uh, Hebrew word, Adon. And that means Lord, but, but it can be equated or, or given to, to men. It, it can also be given to God. It's a title of God, but it's also a title that is used of men. It's more often than not used of men, but it's occasionally used of God. And, and so the word Adon, when, when the text says, what does my Lord say to his servant? That's not decisive. Like We can't really know for sure whether it is God or a man or an angel just from Adon. But in Joshua chapter 6, verse 2, the text clearly says, quote, the Lord said to Joshua, and then it goes on to say what he said. Now, when it says the Lord said to Joshua in chapter 6, verse 2, it doesn't use the word Adon. It's a different word. It uses the word Yahweh. Yahweh. Now, now Yahweh is never used for anything but God. So you might be thinking to yourself, well, that's chapter six, this is chapter five. They're, they're different, they're not different. When, when Joshua wrote the book of Joshua, he didn't put chapters in, he didn't put verses in. Those came much later. So chapter six, verse two is part of the same story as chapter five, verses 13, 14, and 15. It's all the same. And so God is then identifying himself as Yahweh in chapter 6. And so Joshua falls on his face and worships. He falls on his face and worships. Now that's another reason not to think that this is an angel. Angels are uncomfortable when men or women try to worship them. Like Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, John, who's writing the book of Revelation, sees an angel, falls down and starts worshiping. it. And the, the angel clearly gets uncomfortable. He's like, hey, stop it. You know, get, get up. Like, I'm a servant of God just like you are. Like, Set your sights higher, man. And so angels don't like it. This guy receives it. Joshua met God, and he fell on his face. When was the last time you fell on your face before God? Does that ever happen? Does it it ever happen? I wonder if we've cheapened God. I wonder if we've made him so accessible. And by the grace of God, he is accessible. But maybe we've gone too far. Have we forgotten that God is holy? Have we forgotten that he's holy? Look, I I mentioned this three or four weeks ago, so I'm I'm not going to hammer real hard on this. But when we understand the holiness of God, we appreciate the grace of God all the more. It's not God is gracious and accessible or he is holy. He is holy, and therefore the grace of God, which bridges the gap between his holiness and our sinfulness, we appreciate that all the more. R.C. Spruel once said, only once in sacred scripture is an attribute of God elevated to the third degree. Only once is a characteristic of God mentioned three times in succession. The Bible says that God is holy, holy, holy. End quote. That's a, that's a quotation, a reference to Isaiah chapter 6. holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. An angelic host is screaming that to each other. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Is, is that the God we worship? Like, are, are you aware of, of how different God is? Holy holy, ultimately means that he's different. He's not common. Like, you, you you've got fine china, that would be... Holy. You don't pull that out for like regular days. God is different than us. He he's not accessible. Only by the grace of God, which bridges the gap, do do we stand before him with any hope of survival? Now, here holiness isn't just speaking to his set apartness, it's it's also speaking to his sovereignty. Like holy is the Lord. Almighty. He's different than us. There are things that we want to do that we can't do. Like, there are, there are things more and more these days that I just can't do anymore. You know, like, I, I can't do it. But even on my best day when I was at peak condition, you know, peak intellectual capacity, there are things that I've just never been able to do. I have limitations. There are no such limitations with God. That's part of what makes Him holy. I think as a church, we would be well served to cultivate our appreciation of god's holiness like if if we would spend time because culture isn't just going to instill this in you on its own you're going to move fast you're going to think god is common you're going to think god's lucky to have you in heaven but i think if we will cultivate our appreciation of god's holiness i think if we understand how great and how different he is i think it will enliven our worship and what I mean by that is people who have a high view of the holiness of God, they're never bored in worship. Like when you came in today, are you like, okay, it's Sunday. You know, this is what I do because I'm a Christian. I'm going to go through the motions. We're going to do a greeting. We're going to do two songs, an offertory, and you know, a testimony by London today. That's a little bit of an aberration. And then we're going to do two more songs, and I'm going to listen to a sermon, and then I'm going to go to lunch. It's just what I do. But if you, if you came today with that sort of expectation, I'm a dutiful Christian, I'm going to do this, maybe, maybe you need to come with a greater appreciation of the holiness of God so that when you come into this room, you're like, whoa, God is among us in a profound way when the saints of God gather as church to talk about his word to talk about his purposes, to talk about the mission of the church. God is here. Maybe that's what we need. I don't think it's as much about my preaching, whether I entertain you or not. I don't think that's going to make the difference in how we worship. I think it's going to be how you come. Do you understand that God is holy, holy, holy? I think it'll enliven your worship. Look, I think it'll enliven your lives. I think you'll stop compartmentalizing your your spiritual life from the rest of your life. I think you'll go into Monday through Saturday thinking as you go into work, the living God is with me. How can I be afraid? How can I be afraid? If the living God goes before me and he is holy, 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 he is capable of anything, he is capable of everything that he wants to do and he uses me for his good purposes. That's makes life really exciting. If you're bored at church or in life, this might be the key. It really might. Joshua is going to ask the commander of the Lord's army, a theophany, an appearance of God Almighty, perhaps a pre-incarnate Jesus. He's going to ask him two questions, and both of the answers that he's going to receive are actually a little bit surprising. They're just a little bit surprising. Let me focus our attention on these two questions. In Joshua 5.13, the second part of it, Joshua asks the commander of the Lord's army, who he's never met before, are you for us or against us? Are, Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? In essence, he's saying, whose side are you on? You've got a sword drawn. I can understand why he asked the question. You, you on our side or their side? The commander of the army of the Lord, a theophany, possibly a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, answers an either-or question. Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? An either-or question. He answers it, no. And that's a violation of protocol. It, it's either this or this. And he's like... No. Now I'm I'm gonna kind of try to contextualize this, okay? We are a largely white church, which I think is to our detriment. Because of that, when, when we think about the commander of the Lord's army saying no, we think of him as like saying no. It's kind of no. I don't like that, okay? I'm going to kind of try to contextualize this. I want you to think of the commander of the Lord's army with a toothpick in the right side of his mouth, a la Dusty Baker, okay? <laughs> and he's not going to say no. He's going to say nah. Okay, there's a, a huge difference between no and nah. You, you get it? Like I, th- I think this is actually, in my mind's eye, really cool and really tough. What does he mean by answering an either or? Nah. He's basically saying that this is our opportunity to repent of the God is my co-pilot bumper sticker that you have on your car. That's what he's saying. Like if if you've got a God is my co-pilot bumper sticker, take a razor blade and just scrape it off. And and then when you scrape it off, burn it, okay? Okay. It's a bad bumper sticker. There's a worse bumper sticker. The I love, I heart fudge bumper sticker is maybe the worst bumper sticker of all time. There's no theological reason. You just shouldn't have that bumper sticker on your car. Second, though, is God is my co-pilot, okay? It's it's just not a good bumper sticker. God is not your co-pilot. That's not how this works. That's what this is saying. Are you on my team or on the other team? (laughs) That's not the question. The question is, God says, are you on my team? Like, God is not the skinny kid on the playground waiting to be picked for the pickup two-hand touch football game. That's not who he is, okay? Like, we we talk all the time. Like, we say, oh, have have you invited Christ into your life? I get that. There is responsibility that we have for inviting Christ into our lives. But is that really what Scripture says? Like, have you—do you remember it saying— we have to invite Christ into it, like he's the skinny kid on the playground? I don't think so. In in fact, if you look at John chapter one, John the Baptist's disciples are following Jesus because John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God who goes to take away the sins of the world. And they're like, I gotta see who this guy is. And they're kind of lurking around behind him. And Jesus knows they're there because he's Jesus. And he turns around and he says, what do you seek? And they say, Rabbi, where are you staying? Now you know what they didn't say? Would you come to our house? They said, No, no. Wherever you're going, that's where we want to go. May we join you? We're not inviting Jesus to join us. He's inviting us to join. Jesus said in the gospels, you didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Okay? So this is not Jesus like wringing his hands going, Oh, I hope they pick me. This is God saying, I am the commander of the Lord's army. You're principal question is, are you on my team? That's the question we should be asking. That's a really, really important question. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The second question is found in Joshua chapter 5, the very tail end of verse 14. Verse 14, and Joshua fell in his faith and worshiped him, and then he said, What does my Lord say to his servant? That's the second question. What does my Lord say to his servant? Essentially, tell me what I need to know. Tell me what I need to know. Now, I want to give you context here. He's already worshipped. Joshua has already laid down on the ground because God is holy, holy, holy. Okay, He gets that. We might not get it. Joshua, in the presence of God, It's an overwhelming understanding such that he lays down and he has worshipped God. Now, he's gotten up and he basically says, tell me what I need to know. Now, what, what is Joshua thinking here? I think if I'm Joshua and I'm the commander of Israel's army, which is different, I'm looking for the commander of the Lord's army to give me some strategy right? Okay, you got Jericho. It's your first major assignment. It's a military operation here. What we're going to do, we're going to attack the north and the south wall. We're going to breach the wall. We're going to try to flank the opponent. We're going to move to the left and to the right. We're going to get a surprise attack, although there's no surprise attack, because they've been sitting outside of Jericho for days now. (laughs) Jericho knows, but you're looking for strategy. You're absolutely looking for strategy. What does my Lord say to his servant? Verse 15, And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. Take off your shoes. That's the great strategic direction that the commander of the Lord's army gives Joshua. Take off your shoes. What does that mean? I get that you worshiped. But you don't leave worship behind when you go out to do battle Monday through Saturday. This is still about God. This is still about God's holiness. This is holy ground. This, by the way, is a parallel between Moses and the burning bush where he was asked to take off his shoes there because he was standing on holy ground. But ultimately, God is saying, not so fast, a la li Corso. This is still about God and his holiness. A holy God is your strategy. That's the point. Boy, are you willing to live with that as your singular strategy? Look at Joshua chapter six, verse one. This is kind of a sidebar. It's an interruption of the dialogue that Joshua and the commander of the Lord's army are having. And it it kind of breaks out of that dialogue and says, now Jericho was shut up inside and outside, because of the people of Israel. They already knew that Israel was out there. None went out and none came in. All the gates are closed. Now, Jericho then is a fortified city. It's on the eastern edge of Canaan, and it's, it's a critical place. You can't go around it because if Israel just avoids Jericho and tries to conquer Jericho comes and flanks them from the back. So they've got to conquer Jericho. They've got to conquer Jericho. The problem is, Jericho has a high wall all the way around it. I mean, a big high wall. Like when the people of Jericho built the wall, it was not a decorative wall. It was, it was a wall meant for fortification. They built it high enough where they thought, this would be impossible for marauders to come in and knock down. That, that's why you build that wall. It's... it's A wall designed for fortification. A fortified wall around Jericho is impossible to breach. That's why they built it. It's impossible to breach without God. Ultimately, verse 1 is there basically to be a reiteration of the river Jordan. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, you'd know that Israel got to the edge, to the eastern edge of the River Jordan, and it was flooded. It's maybe a mile wide across its flooded terrain, and it's humming. These people are desert people. They can't swim across that. It's it's a mile wide and flying. It's It's a huge rapid, but God parts the water. Just like he parted the water in the Red Sea with Moses, he parted the water with Joshua, another parallel there. And God did it. And now they come to Jericho and it's the same song, second verse. Without God intervening, this seems impossible. Chapter 6, verse 2. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hands with its king and mighty men of valor. What? It's a 15-foot wall all the way around. Look at the wall. You own these people. That impossible city is already yours. And God is saying it's yours for one reason and one reason only. Because you're on my team. And I'm holy. I can do anything I want. Now, to reinforce Israel's dependence on God, in verses 2 through 5, the rest of verse 2 through 5, and I'm just going to summarize it because we're going to cover it a lot next week. In verses 2 through 5, God says to Joshua, here's what you're going to tell Israel, who's primed for a fight. You're going to tell them that they're going to take a daily stroll all the way around the perimeter of that really tall, seemingly impossible wall. They're not going to say a word, not one word. They're not going to wield their swords. They're not going to rattle their sabers. They're just going to do a little stroll, one time each day for six days. And on the seventh day, it's going to be a longer stroll. It's going to be seven times around that seemingly impossible wall. You're going to have some priests there, and they're, they're going to have trumpets, shofars, like a ram's horn, like that. They're going to blow the shofars at some point after seven laps. And then all at once, all the mighty men of Israel who have been taking strolls every day for seven days now, they're going to yell. You might be asking, what are they going to yell? We don't know. We don't have any idea. It, it might be something like, God is great. Could be. It, it, it could be something like, now! I don't know. It could be something ridiculous. The text doesn't say. And the reason the text doesn't say is because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They're just supposed to yell. And at that point, the walls don't fall out, and they don't fall in, They fall straight down. And and not on the north and the south. The whole thing. The whole thing just collapses in on itself. After the people of God go, all together. It's kind of funny, right? It's it's, it's like a little silly. That's, I think, the point. That's, That's the battle of Jericho. That's that's all we get. That's the battle of Jericho. Joshua didn't really fight the battle of Jericho, did he? He didn't. He told some people to walk around in circles for seven days. Joshua didn't breach the wall, did he? There's no record of Joshua breaching the wall. God just made the wall collapse. God just made the wall collapse. Maybe we've overcomplicated our lives by overestimating our agency, our ability to control our circumstances. Maybe our determination to have self-determination is what is creating so much consternation, so much fear, so much stress. Maybe. Look, I'm, don't take this too far. I'm not saying let go and let God I think that's another bad bumper sticker. That's, that's top five bad bumper stickers, okay? I heart fudge, number one, and then those other two. I'm, I'm not saying let go and let God. You do have agency. You are important. You just don't have primary agency, and sometimes we confuse that. We think we're actually in control, and we're not. We're going to reserve at Grace Bible Church primary agency for a sovereign God who created all things, who knows all things, who knows every single thing about every single circumstance that every single one of you are experiencing right now. That's the one who has primary agency. Doesn't doesn't that feel good? Like, oh, God's in control. He has me in this situation for some good purpose that he is trying to show me. And I just need to look to him. So look, the next time you get stressed, the next time you get paralyzed by fear, maybe you should remember that it wasn't Joshua who fit the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. It was God who fought on behalf of his people. You do have a role. You have agency. Your role, it starts with taking off your shoes and remembering that God is holy and providential and sovereign. And you follow him wherever he is leading, instead of trying to get him to come where you want to go. Let's pray. Father, that is so easy to believe on a Sunday morning at Grace Bible Church, and it is so hard to believe Monday through Saturday at work or at school or when we go out with our friends. Father, I pray that our good theology would not be forgotten when we leave this place. I pray that we would take your sovereignty and your holiness and your goodness and your providence out into the lives that you have called us to live, that we might live them for your glory. Father, your providence is demonstrated so clearly in chapters 5 and 6 of Joshua. But it is is just a precursor to the providence, the, the way that you made for your people when you fought our battle by sending your son Jesus to die on a cross on Calvary. Father, I pray that we would find our hope and our peace and our joy and our security and our courage in the work, the finished work of Jesus. I pray that we would not try to earn our salvation, that we would rest in Jesus' work on our behalf. And I pray, God, that that would give us everything that we need to live unto your glory in this world, regardless of the difficulty of the circumstances. I pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.